You're listening to the Gimme 5 Podcast, episode 34. This is the Gimme 5 Podcast, where each week we discuss all things entertainment, specifically the things that entertained us, not you, Aww. us. So it could be TV shows, it could be documentaries, it could be movies, music, streaming, books, whatever. I'm Greg, and together with my co-host, Jimmy. Hello. And Rob. That's me, yo! We are the Gimme 5 Guys, dropping bad opinions like they are leg drops and people's elbows. If you smell what the Rob is cooking. I, I think I think the the five guys is already taken. This is the give me five guys. Oh oh oh! Just by adding. Although that if anyone wants word. to give us five guys, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I would happily accept that. I, so. I I would I would probably be willing to accept that as well. Yes. So this week we are going to uh, talk about Walking Dead season eight. It's going to be pretty much a review of the season and how it went. So that's going to be spoilerific. Andre the Giant, uh, HBO sports documentary. We're going to talk about that. And a Netflix original called The Titan, as well as our usual hijinks. Zing! Hijinks! Shenanigans! All right, guys, this is a review show, and there, well, there will be spoilers, especially for, for The Walking Dead. We will try to avoid any major twists. For example, if you did not know that Andre the Giant had his first defeat to Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3, or that I'm going to powerbomb Greg through a table. Wait, wait, wait. What? The, the lost to Hogan? No, no I, the, the, the table thing? Anyway, I, if you feel like... I'm totally like, going to watch that. If you feel like discussing these things will spoil your enjoyment, then stop and come back later. Oh, no, that will totally be my enjoyment. But if you'd like to... <laughs> if you'd like to write and let us know what other things you would like Jimmy to powerbomb Greg through, That's you right. can find us on Facebook <laughs> by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can email us, Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast you're using. It really helps us stand out and helps other people find us as well. Yeah. And also, oh, hold on. Oh, yeah, about oh, that review oh. thing. So oh, oh, oh. I see the numbers of how many of you guys are, are out there listening, and it's significantly more than the nine reviews we have on iTunes. So it, <gasps> I know. We're watching you. So make Consider sure you the that helps us. <laughs> through your window while your curtains are open. It's true. Especially Rob. So Maybe. leave that review. It's free, and it helps us. And I'm just going to put it out there that I'm pretty good at the figure four leg lock. So. Oh. You know, and that that thing over. freaking hurts too, dude. Have you ever been yes, put in that? Yes, I have. Damn, that hurts. <laughs> okay, so, move on, move on. All right. Also, we have a store, so you can go to give me five podcast dot threadless dot com and get all your sweet give me five swag. You can buy a give me five podcast t shirt and then rip it off like you were Hulk Hogan, and then buy another one. 
You can buy a give me five collar for your do- wait. Can you do that? Is that a thing? No, you cannot. Uh, oh. You can buy a give me five podcast bath mat though. Oh, <gasps> really? Which yeah, it's a thing. What I, about I, give me five the flamethrower? Not not a thing. Not oh yeah. Anyway, we should have licensed tables to power, to power bomb, bomb Greg through. <laughs> yes, that is gonna be a thing. When we sell our first license table, I will allow someone to powerbomb me through it. Yes! I'm totally going to buy a table licensed by us. <laughs> okay, guys. Anything uh, new? <laughs> yeah. So as you've probably figured by now, this is going to be a very wrestling-centric, uh, wrestling-heavy episode. And some heavy news from the wrestling world. Bruno Sammartino died today. Oh, did he really? I met yeah. him at the airport once. Did you? In, Pitt- in Pittsburgh. when The first time I ever went back to Pittsburgh. And he was walking through the airport. Legendary wrestler, um, Bruno San Martino. He was, I think he had the, the first longest running, uh, championship reign at, I believe, eight years. I, yeah, I believe so. So. Now, when yeah, we say it's going to be a wrestling heavy episode, it's still, it's not going to be like a wrestling purist episode. It's going to be a thinking back a little bit to the 80s because of the Andre the Giant documentary. So don't freak out and mm-hmm. think I don't watch wrestling. I don't care about wrestling. And then immediately stop the podcast because we got all sorts of other cool stuff to talk about. We do. And I have to thank you for letting me borrow Severed. I finally got a chance to read that. And it was a beautiful graphic novel. Um, The artist changed at chapter four. And when I switched over to the page uh, that chapter four started, it was like the sun came out. Um, What a beautiful style. For mm-hmm. such a dark tale, mm-hmm. I forget um, the guy's name, but the the artist. But it's uh, if you that's the story I, had I talked about. I know, right? That's the story I talked about with at our episode with C.S. Umble, where I said that that it's a great story about murderous hobos or a murderous hobo, and I finally remembered to bring it to work for Jimmy Tabara. Yeah, I, I believe the um, artist is Attila Futaki. Yes. Um, so it, you know, it is one of the things I picked up. I was like, yeah, I'm going to read this to fall asleep. And that didn't happen. I ended up reading the whole thing in one shot. It's not an extraordinarily long or, you know, um, thought bubble heavy book like the Watchmen, which I'm still trying to work my way through. It's, uh, it's really good and you should check it out. Um, and another thing I have to thank you for based on your recommendation and the trailers, of course, I saw a quiet place last night and wow, wow. What an original concept. Um, Greg, you were spot on. I, we got into the theater a couple of minutes late, uh, while we didn't miss anything huge, uh, we sat down and it, it was really hard just to put the straw into my Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those like you, like I said, you feel really bad making noise. Yeah, so if you um, if if you're the kind of person, and and this is the the thought that I had while I was in there, that has to ask a lot of questions while you're watching a movie in the theater. First, shame do, on you. Shame on you, and do the people in the audience a favor and just wait for it to come out on HD DVD. Which I think is the wave of the future. Um, but yeah, but seriously, just wait for it to come out on video because it's going to be quiet. It's, it's such a quiet movie that you hear everything. Oh boy. 
oh, and when there was actual sound, I jumped out of my seat. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised I didn't fling popcorn all over the people in front of me. (laughs) So check it out. Greg already talked about it extensively in our last episode. Rob, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think uh, because it's a great movie. Check it out. Definitely. Definitely a theater movie. Okay. I, I got there's, a little there's bit just of so many coming out uh, very shortly, too, though. That's true. You can uh, – I'm telling you, Vito Marketplace Mall, if you're in the Orlando area, um, every Tuesday tickets are 6 bucks. Popcorn is 50% off. And you might see wrestler Kevin Owens at the theater. Did you? <gasps> yes, I did. Sweet. Speaking nice. of powerbombs or table, you should get us some tips. <laughs> I – it was like, wait, what? And he was already on the other side of the food court. It was absolutely 100% him. Makes sense because the, the training center is, what, like five miles away from there? Mm-hmm. So, okay. I got a few things. I know Rob probably has some stuff, but I'll give you a few quick things. Uh, Stranger Things Season 3 has cast two new characters, Carrie Elways, from what, Rob? The Princess Bride. I did not know that, really? Yeah, it was just announced wow. uh, either this morning or yesterday evening. Wow, and, that's amazing. And Jake Busey, which... Less exciting, but it's Jake Busey. I'd be more uh, excited if it were Gary Busey. <laughs> uh, Jake Busey, real quick, not to step on your toes, is in the new Predator movie uh, directed by Shane Black. He's playing Gary Busey's son Makes from Predator 2. Significant amount of sense on that one. Yeah. I also got to see some 80s cartoon movie news, which was actually texted mm-hmm. to me by by a listener, which I think Rob probably saw that as well. I, I did see it. Uh, they are making a mask movie. That's M dot A dot A dot S dot K. The eighties property, which I don't think Jimmy had a huge amount of love for or didn't know much about it, but no, it came out um, around the same time GI Joe was popular when everyone had to have like a special type character. And it was basically a combination of GI Joe and transformers where the characters all had individual personalities like GI Joe, but they also drove vehicles that could transform from regular vehicle into weapon vehicle, weapon-aided vehicle. Oh, yeah, that was the fake Transformers G.I. Joe crossover thing. Yeah, with like did they wore masks and stuff like that. So they're did, that is did you be, just say weaponated? We, I did say weaponated. We, weaponized. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it in there. <laughs> it's a thing now. It is. As in it's gonna probably be a title of a podcast in the very near future. I'm, I'm gonna weaponate my vehicle too. Weaponated. Okay. We have a title. Anyway, so they're doing that. That is supposedly going to be the beginning of a shared universe, of course, with um, other Hasbro properties such as Transformers and uh, G.I. Joe and Mask, as I mentioned. So that's one thing. Or that's another thing. And video game news. And I, I somehow miss this whole Fortnite thing because I don't have mm-hmm. any time to play video games, but it's like really, really big right now. I mean, you look at YouTube videos and Fortnite is like up there. Is in, yeah, it's, it's I, huge. I play it. I play it. It's, so it's not first person, it's, what is it, third person? It's it's third person, but I, I don't play the PvP, which seems to be the only thing that anybody really wants to play. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. So apparently in Fortnite, people no- noticed that there was a strange rumbling coming from their controllers. And at first they thought it was an error, and then some players looked up and saw that there was a comet streaking through the sky about, I think at the beginning of April, maybe late March. So people thought maybe it was like going to be an April Fool's Day joke, something like that. And then it continued... The comet or meteor started looking bigger over the past couple weeks. And mm-hmm. as of uh, what I just saw uh, earlier today, there's now more than one of these things streaking through the sky. And hmm. a lot of them actually have sound right. effects and rumbling through the thing. 
So I find it really interesting, but I think Epic Games with this game is either about to create a new part of the map having using a Meteor Strike or destroy part of the map using a Meteor Strike, which I think is really kind of a cool way of using the whole online adaptable stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the, the Meteor, Rob? I, I have not. I, I I didn't look. I didn't notice. I didn't. I I, I mean, I don't play it a ton because, like I said, I have a hard time finding finding uh, you know friends that want to play because they always just want to play the PvP. So I, I I typically play the um play one or two missions of the campaign you know by myself, and then I'm like ah forget this. Let me go play Rocket League. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, anything else for you, Rob? Anything uh, new? Um, I was. I, I actually have something for our next session. Okay. Well, I, then I'll just say one more thing. I just didn't want to talk straight through, but I've got one last thing. Superman 1000 came out. That is the thousandth issue oh, of the wow. book. I believe it's the first one that's hit 1000. Uh, so I did actually run out and buy it today because I haven't bought a paper comic book in forever. Mm-hmm. But I bought it because it has a bunch of different artists. And it's you know a lot of different, almost like essay style stories about Superman and what he means to various people. Short stories. Nothing hugely groundbreaking, although... I think it's crazy that the first Superman comic, I believe, came out in 1938, and it hit a thousand. Uh, there has been a few, have been a few times that they've jumped away from the numbering, but they kind of took those numbers back into account when they added this up. Mm-hmm. But I think the, one of the stories I thought was really neat was if you ever saw the first issue of Action Comics, there's like a green car crashed, and Superman's kind of holding it up and you know yeah. pulling people yes. out of it. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, so they, uh, if you own it, uh, you can send it here because it's worth quite a bit. But, that, that like thirty cents. Just send it to us. We'll yeah, uh, we'll we'll take it off your hands. Yeah, but they, there's a story about like the guy that was driving that car, and he's like at a car place, you know, like turning in the damaged car, and Superman going to like talk to him, and it was it's kind of a cool little five six page story of you know seeing something from a different viewpoint. So I thought that was kind of cool. But hmm. yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah. I'll have to grab a copy. And I've got one more thing. Uh, that music. I love that song. That music means it's time for a new segment called "Let's Make Rob Angry." Oh Lord! A new segment that Rob <laughs> does not know about. I I did not know about this segment. I did not approve of this segment. Can we? Where Where are the monkey judges? Can we ask the monkey judges? Mm, I don't think they're going to help you. Yeah. Uh, so I saw an article today that is going to make Rob angry because Mister Patrick Rothfuss. Your favorite author, God, has decided that he's going to step away from writing for a little while. At least writing. Of course, his, he has his own stuff because he is going to be writing a Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons crossover comic for a little while. Yeah. So what he said was, "I get invitations to be involved with a lot of pro- projects these days, and I say no to the majority of them. It's my job to say no to these things so I can focus my energies on essential things. And as a result, I've passed on some really cool gigs. But when this got offered to me, I couldn't say no." So Rob, did that make you angry? I've I've given up on Rothfuss in 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 all honesty. I mean, he's he he has shown at every turn just an absolute at least in every every interaction that I've read with him and fans, he's got a complete contempt for his fans. He doesn't want to talk about it. His fans want to know when he's going to finish his freaking series and he basically tells them to f off. I'll get it when you'll get it when I finish it. They they want yeah. they want updates and he tells them shut the f up I'll you know why how dare you ask me about that you know I don't want to talk about that well you know what it's been eleven years dude I mean <laughs> come on 
Jimmy, he sounds pretty angry, right? Yeah. Well, I, I am a little bit too. Uh, Rob and I both have expressed our, well, former love for the King Killer Chronicles. You know, maybe we'll see the, the end of that trilogy in, in 50 years. Who knows? But I'm, I'm like Rob. I'm kind of tired of it and tired of the, the little games and, and the contempt. You know, it's, it's just yeah. super annoying. I'm, I'm, know? I'm at you the You could point... have said no to the comic. Yeah. I'm at the point where I won't read the third book. I, I, I'm not going mm. to, I'm not going to buy it and get, if I get it for free, I might read it, but I'm not, right, I'll let you borrow it. I'm not going to contribute any money to, uh, to Rothfuss. He can, he can go eat it as far as I'm concerned. Fair enough. I have successfully made Rob angry and that concludes our segment. Well, I think it's time for snap decisions. Snap Decisions is a segment of our show in which we bring up some current news or some other idea, and then one host will ask the other hosts about their opinion on it, and we try to get that answer in in one minute, and if you don't get it in in one minute, you hear this noise. That's actually a song. Yes. That's a whole song. It sounds more like a noise. So guys, what you got? Um, I, I actually have one this week. Um, I saw that uh, DC has actually picked someone to direct um, their next Harley Quinn movie. Um, and they, they picked a director by the name of Kathy Yan, who, who is um, the, I guess the first female Asian American. Now, aside from the whole female thing and aside from the whole female heroine, the, actually the, the question I wanted to ask is, what do you think about sidekicks getting their own movie? Because to me, Harley Quinn is essentially a sidekick. Do you do you think they can pull it off, or do you think um, sidekicks should kind of stay sidekicks? I'll go ahead with that one. Go for it. So I have not seen Suicide Squad. Didn't they explain Harley's origin in that, or no? They didn't really explain her origin. Okay, because it has been explained in comics, video games, mm-hmm. etc., um, I don't know that it makes for a really engaging story. I think DC should just focus on making better movies first before they start to branch out with sidekicks. I wouldn't go see a Robin movie. Um, would you, you go know, see a movie about Drax? Maybe at the dollar theater. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not super excited about it. They, they can stay with their superhero partners. Don't play me off because I did it. Did it. 57 seconds. Good work. And Greg? With Harley Quinn, I think that her side, she did start off as a sidekick or as a girlfriend in this case, mm-hmm. but her popularity did grow. I mean, she has her own comic book series. She's She was probably one of the best things about Suicide Squad. That being said, I think a lot of her appeal does come in the way she interplays with the Joker and how she's torn from being a psychologist and also that mm-hmm. that being said, I'm trying to, I was trying to think while Jimmy was talking about other movies based on sidekicks and you can actually, there's, I mean, in some ways Wolverine did sort of start out as a sidekick or a villain to the Hulk and surpassed that, but I couldn't think of any other ones. And I mean, Robin would be the big one. And I don't think I would be excited about a Robin movie either. You'd be constantly waiting for Batman to show up. So yeah, I'm waiting to see how it looks. And if there's a team involved with that as well. Okay. Good job. 
Now, now, bottom line is is that it's it's starring Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, who is absolutely gorgeous, and I'll go see the movie. But I'm not. I, I I'm reserving judgment until the movie comes out because, like I said, I mean, I wouldn't be excited to go see a movie about Drax. I mean, Drax is funny as as like a sidekick character in Guardians of the Galaxy, but I don't think he's a very compelling lead character. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think Greg touched on this. I think a lot of Harley's uh, story comes with her interaction with the Joker. I think Drax's story comes from the interaction with the rest of the Guardians. Mm-hmm. So it'd be hard. I don't think there's really a leg to stand on there. Cool. All right. So I've got one. Alien Day returns for a third year on April 26th, and it, its name originates from where the story took place in the movie Aliens. That's on LV-426. Uh, there are going to be discounted prices on Alien titles, a launch of a new comic, and a VR experience launching in Orange County, California. Uh, the experience, which I can only imagine is like Secrets of the Empire, will only be in, for now, Orange County, California. So hopefully we'll see that eventually. Now, with that awesome news comes some sour grapes. Neil, Neil Blomkamp, um, whom we've talked about previously, founder of Oat Studios, director of District 9, Chappie, some other hits or misses, um, is, as I saw a quote from bloodydisgusting.com, reluctantly moving on from Alien 5, which is extraordinarily unfortunate in my opinion. Neil Blomkamp was attached to Alien 5 a couple of years ago when you guys might have seen this concept art was released with Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean uh, returning to reprise their roles. Now, we may never know exactly what happened, but Ridley Scott's returned trumped Neil Blomkamp's story and we got Alien Covenant and Prometheus. Now, do you think with the, you know, blockbuster bomb that Alien Covenant was, do you think that Ridley Scott can pull a win out of this or would you rather see Neil Blomkamp's continuation of the movie Aliens or could they both coexist? I can I can do this one. All right. The Aliens franchise to me while being a great horror and sci-fi story has always been a good like incubator for new ideas and directors to show their take on it. The first one was pretty much what suspense horror. The second one yeah. was a pure action movie basis. It's one of my favorite action movies. Uh, three oh, kind of introduced the world. At, one of uh, the third one kind of introduced the world to David Fincher. And I've heard that his cut is better, but I kind of do want to see other takes on it. I enjoyed Covenant and well, and Prometheus, but they were just another take, and I don't need to see that. I would like to see Blomkamp's story because I did enjoy the the artwork. I did enjoy that, and yeah, so I think that's that's where I lean on. I I think that they need to get their stuff together and work together. Collaboration would be amazing. What do you think, Rob? Um, well, first off, I have to correct Greg because the Aliens was not a straight action movie. It was an action suspense film. But um, burn. I I would I would say that that I w- I would like to see them work together. <laughs> Ali- Aliens was was without question the best movie in the franchise. Um, I'd I'd like to see more more in that vein 
Um, but Greg is right. It's, it's, it's nice to see, um, new ideas, innovations in the films, but as I said, in my opinion, aliens was the best in the franchise. And I would like to see more of that. Uh, you can check out Oat Studios. It is in crowdfunding phase for Neil Blomkamp's next project, a full feature length crowdfunded version of Firebase. Cool. I got one. The rock, the rock and roll hall of fame was this past weekend, the induction ceremony. They inducted Bon Jovi, The Cars, Nina Simone, Dire Straits, The Moody Blues, and Sister Rosetta Tharp. Uh, the Moody Blues, specifically, they've been eligible since 1990 and finally got in. If you know, if you don't know them, Rom, they did the song Nights in White Satin, which I'm sure you know. Never knowing the end. I've heard it. Yep. Uh, my question to you is, which band or musician do you think deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and has been passed over? Oh, and as a side to this, I have a guess as to what Jimmy's going to say. So let's see if I was right. All right. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You can go first. All right. So the band that has been snubbed, who is so rightfully deserving of a spot in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is Iron Maiden. That is not what I thought you would say. What do you think I was going to say? The Misfits, Cannibal Corpse? Joy Division. Okay. So I can see why Joy Division isn't. Joy Division is in the British Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, as Joy Division slash New Order. Now they cross my mind. Um, I believe Unknown Pleasures and, and uh, you know, their follow up album to that, uh, Closer was, I, I think they're amazing. You know how much I love Joy Division. Um, love to see them in there eventually, but why is Iron Maiden not in there? It's true. Like a million albums. They had their own freaking plane that was piloted by the singer. Come on now. That's so rock and roll. It's true. But their drummer is now a tennis instructor in Boca Raton, Florida. Uh, Nico Brains? Yeah. Doesn't he have a barbecue joint? He also too? has a, bo- a barbecue joint in Bogart, yeah. Florida. Well, in right. Coral Springs. So Iron Maiden. That's what I got. Uh, Rob, do you got anything there? Uh, I don't even know who hasn't gotten in, so I, I got nothing. I figured on that one. But, okay. I, I got one as well, and this is – I doubt anyone's going to know what I am what I was going to guess, but I was going to say the MC5, which – They're not? They're Mick not. Five. Yes, the MC5 stands for the Motor City 5. Kick out the jams, motherfucker. That's exactly right. The reason why I had a conversation with with Omar actually about history. Uh, He was one of our guest hosts for a couple times. And he was saying the further back you go, the more likely that your history is going to cause other things to happen. And the MC5 was a punk band in 1969 before and before punk existed. And, you know, I've been listening to their stuff recently and it's you forget that they're from 1969 because their stuff is so I mean, it. It could easily be a punk band in the 80s or even 90s. And then you hear a song and you're like, wow, this is really dated. This sounds like it's from the 50s. And you're like, oh, yeah, because these guys grew up you know, listening to music in the 50s. But MC5, they uh, they led to stuff like Iggy Pop, Green Day, Rage Against the Machine, You know, very politically minded punk music before punk existed. So I think that they should be in there. Trashy in a good way. Correct. And they invented the term, kick out the jams. Mother effer. Okay. Uh, do we have any more? Or should we close this out? That's all I got. All I got. So our first topic of the night is a documentary about a man that was larger than life himself, Andre the Giant, or Andre Rusmoff. And I think we all watched this, correct? I did. Yes. I know I watched it. I watched yeah. it. Awesome. Yep. Andre Rusmoff, uh, better known as Andre the Giant, was born on May 19th, 1946, and died on January 27th, 1993. And the documentary is a look into his wrestling life, personal life, 
and just a lot of the challenges that he battled as a man with acromegaly, which is also known as giganticism. Yeah. Now he, in a way, basically, he could have been treated for it if they caught it at a young enough age. Now, part of it was he grew up in a very small village, so it's possible that they didn't know about the treatments or couldn't do the treatments. But also, he had a little bit of it like, well, this is how God made me, and this is how I want to be. Even though it caused great pain, it caused, it eventually caused his death, and it caused him to be stared at and pointed at, and he couldn't hide from who he was. Yeah, yeah a man that size can't hide anywhere he goes. And that's that's touched upon in the documentary. Uh, so I really, I really enjoyed this. I didn't know much about Andre the Giant. I wasn't like a super Andre the Giant fan. I didn't, I knew him as a cartoon character, like literally a cartoon character, not a caricature, but like there was a WWF at the time cartoon that I used to watch and he was on there. It's kind of almost as comic relief if I remember correctly. And then, and he was part of the bad guys. He was part of the bad guys in the cartoon. He was on Roddy Piper's team, if you will. I do not remember that cartoon at all. Uh, yeah, I, I just remember Andre the Giant as being a bad guy. I, I just looked it up. WWF WrestleMania, which I had for the Nintendo, and I used to play all the time. Um, Andre the Giant was a bad guy. That's when he was feuding with Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. uh, towards the, you know, just a couple of years shy of the end of his career. So, you know, that's what how I remember him. really interesting about the documentary was they – they touched upon how fractured wrestling was in the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and how there was these different wrestling promotions. And Andre the Giant bounced around all these different promotions. There'd be one up in the East. There'd be one in in Florida, like FCW, which is the Florida, I think, the Florida wrestling group that actually just became ECW, or ECW, to NXT. <laughs> NXT, yeah, yeah, within the past 10 years or so. Yeah, so they there was all these different groups, and one of the things that uh, Vince McMahon and his, his father, I believe, kind of started it, and then he kind of furthered it was gathering all these groups and getting them together so that and getting them t- on TV. But before that, Andre the Giant went to all these different places and everyone knew of him because of his size. Mm-hmm. So he would bounce around and he would almost do the, sh- the same shtick in every place, but he was always a good guy and people would go to see the see what he was, you know, say, oh my god, I got to, I got to see the giant. He was that much bigger than everyone else. So it was a blessing yeah. and a curse to his size. Yeah, and, and that was really one of the things that struck me because like like um like you, I I didn't I didn't remember Andre as a good guy. Um I I always remembered Andre as as the villain and it was really it was really kind of disheartening to see the the change that that came over like watching this documentary, seeing the change that came over Andre and how and how sad, I mean, at least the, the impression that I got from the, from the documentary was how sad being the villain made Andre. Um, yeah. Yeah. You did, could definitely you guys, see that. Did you guys pick that up at all? Oh, absolutely. They mentioned it briefly, but you could definitely see it because he went from, he wanted to be the hero. He wanted to be the, the guy flexing his muscles and having the girls sit on his shoulders and do mm-hmm. that. And then they showed him being wheeled out and people throwing things at him. Much different yeah. crowds than these days, by the way. You get kicked out for that stuff now, but people yeah. throwing things at him and booing him and saying things for him. And you know, if you're the hero, people will cheer the fact that you're big. If you're right. the villain, people are going to use it to tear you down. Right. And I think that that was an unwitting, it hurt him even more and caused him. I mean, there's a big talk about alcoholism, but I think that probably didn't help. Right. 
Now there were there were a couple of things that I was aware of just just because he's he's in my favorite movie, and like I like I've meant I believe I've mentioned it in the past on the podcast. Um, I've actually read uh, or listened to Carrie Ellis's book As You Wish, which was a written by Carrie Ellis about the filming of the Princess Bride, and he talks extensively about Andre the Giant in the book. It's a, it's a great book, and if you haven't if you haven't heard it, if you like the movie, I definitely recommend it. But um, so I knew all about his drinking. You know, a lot of people knew about his drinking. I mean, and he was absolutely a legendary drinker. And they they even say in the in the uh, documentary that, you know, wrestlers after a show would drink like, you know, 12 beers. They would they would have like a case of beer, you know, or whatever. Andre started drinking with 24 that that was the least that Andre ever drunk when he sat down to drink. He would drink twenty four beers to start, and there were times that people said that he would bring in a case of wine and finish the case of wine, and he would have he would finish off like three bottles of cognac. You know, it was it, he was a legendary drinker, but he was so massive that it took that much for one for him to feel it. And they had a couple of pictures of like a beer can in his hand. You saw those pictures. Yeah, yep. I mean, it pictures looked, are online if you got search for them. By the way, it 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 looked like a toy in his hand. It was ridiculous. It looks like one of those like tomato juice cans or like the peach nectar in a regular person's hand, regular adult hand. Yeah, but it's a full beer can. It's crazy, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. But and and he was in such pain, and that was as opposed to taking drugs. Alcohol was his. It was his drug, basically. Um. But there, there were things that I didn't know about him that, that I found really interesting. Um, they, they touched on the fact that he, he was basically the, the in, enforcer, the, the moral enforcer. I mean, he, you know, guys, in the listened, locker room, yeah. yeah, in the locker room, guys listened to him and they had Hulk Hogan on and Hulk Hogan was saying that, you know, uh, Andre had no problem going out and wrestling anybody and helping them get over. Even even when Andre won, mm-hmm. he helped other wrestlers get over with the audience. So you know, like they would go out and they would they would stand their ground and they'd look good. You know, he and he would make them look good. Andre Andre had a way to make his opponents look good, even if he won. Even even though Andre always won, he had a way to make his opponents look good. Um, yeah. We're going to definitely won- talk about Hulk Hogan probably at the end of this little segment. Right, right. Of that. But it, but if you went out and didn't play ball and didn't play, you know, the way that, you know, this was supposed to go, Andre had no problem putting you back in line and showing you yeah. that he he in fact was the biggest and baddest dog in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh you'll hear terms like getting over um heel heel uh pulling punches and and you know if you weren't, you know, like Rob said, you know, staying in your lane, then he would, you wouldn't get over. You wouldn't get over with Andre. You know, he'd make you look bad. Uh, but the the one that really made me laugh was, appara- I didn't know, but apparently Andre absolutely hated Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes. And before one of their matches, Randy was getting ready for the match and he, he just oiled himself up with baby oil. And he came in to talk to Andre while they were in the locker room. And Andre was sitting there playing cards and he looks up and Randy's going, you know, what are we going to do? And Andre just looks at him and goes, no, baby oil, get out. <laughs> yeah, there's. And threw Randy out of the locker room. You know, when you hear about Andre the Giant being mad at someone, 
you kind of have to picture what that's like. But in this particular documentary, they show a clip yeah. of him. And I'm guessing that's where you're going to mention what you're going to mention, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. They show like, we're not sure if it was a specific person talking about how you're not supposed to go in the locker room if you're not a wrestler. But they show what it's like to interrupt Andre the Giant in the locker room. And it's terrifying. It's, it is terrifying. He, you know, was billed as seven foot four inches and, uh, he was all of that and then some. And his handler is actually talking about how he started working with Andre and Andre said, you know, told this man, he said, Hey, you know, I want this guy to come on, on the road with me. And so this guy goes on the road with Andre and, and he says, you know, Hey, you know, I'm part of the, the crew now. I work with these guys. I can go in the locker room. Um, and, and just as he's talking about that, it cuts over to like a, you know, a handheld camera shot, whether it's him or not, we don't really know of somebody like kind of poking the camera into the, the locker room beyond the curtains. And Andre, he's got his back to this camera and he's playing cards and he's just this massive hulk of a man just kind of leaning over on this bench. And he's made aware that there's a camera peeking into the locker room and he turns around and he just what the f are you doing here you know and hit his deep deep giant voice you know get out and he like you're almost fearful for the person who's holding the camera because he kind of as i like, like storming the door <laughs> yeah like, oh shit <laughs> this person's gonna die but he stopped he, he just kind of like and close his, the curtain, and you, but you can see him see, looking over the pipe that's holding up the curtain, which is yeah. normally something I, w- I could have to jump up if I was going to try to do a pull-up on it. Uh, you know, the, the so, show is not all drama and sadness and badassness. There is a significant portion right in the middle of the, of the documentary about Andre the Giant's flatulence. Oh, yeah. Which, which led to um, at least one Google search and one YouTube search of me looking up Andre the Giant fart to try to find at least one sound effect and because of the way they describe it. And it's multiple people. I and, believe it's described as an event. Yeah. And, and Carrie, Carrie Ellis even talks about it in his book um, because he apparently did it on set too <laughs> for the movie. <laughs> they said it's loud and you hear things flapping together, I believe is what the, they, they all try to describe it. And, but as far as I know, there is no actual recording of that. Although it might be on some special you know, some footage from Princess Bride. They need to release that in the director's cut. Yeah. Well, apparently, ac- according to Carrie Ellis' book, I mean, Andre the Giant pretty much stopped um, stopped the filming of the movie for like an entire day because nobody could keep a straight face. It was it was the scene where they were up on top of the wall and they're looking at the castle gate that's guarded by all the uh, all the guards, you know, when they're getting ready to storm the castle, when uh, the man in black, Carrie Ellis, is still like, in not in control of his limbs and stuff. And, and there's a scene and Carrie Ellis talks about it. And he says, Andre was given his line and then he gets real quiet and he gets this look of concentration on his face. And he says, almost like he forgot his line or something. And then all of a sudden there's this earth shattering prop shaking fart that just emanates (laughs) from his rear end. And he said, he said the wall he was leaning up against was vibrating. It was just so loud. And and everybody stopped, and then nobody could keep a straight face. And the director, the director asked him. He said, "Andre, are you okay?" And Andre looks up at him and says, "I am now, boss." <laughs> and awesome. and and from that point on, for like for like an hour, two hours, whatever, nobody 
could could keep a straight face when they were trying to film these lines. Everybody was just laughing. Everybody was cutting up. Rob Reiner, the director, actually had to leave set because he was laughing and screwing up the scene. He, the director had to leave the set because he was laughing too loud and was disturbing the scene and just interrupting the filming. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I guess really one of the biggest things that Andre the Giant did was he put over, as Jimmy was saying earlier, Hulk Hogan. And... Yep. Mm-hmm. It was at WrestleMania three, which was nineteen eighty seven. We we determined, yes. And Hulk Hogan was on the way, if not already there, being the biggest wrestling star that has ever broken through to the mainstream, not size wise, but just popularity wise. You know, he was he brought the WWE into everyone's house. There was toys, <laughs> there was cereal, there was vitamins, everything. And Hulk Hogan was the face of that. He was the he was the ultimate face, which is a wrestling term for those of you out there that don't know. That means hero or good guy. Comes from baby face. Yes. And yeah. Andre the Giant helped put him over in such a huge way at WrestleMania by basically allowing Hulk Hogan to win. Yeah, and this was um, this was during a time when it seemed like the matches were kind of left open to the wrestlers while they were planned. Yes, talk, uh, talk Hogan. Hulk Hogan has, you know, tells this story of going into WrestleMania three the night before and being, there's, you know, cuts to him and Vince McMahon and Andre's handler where Hulk Hogan leading up to WrestleMania three kept going to Vince McMahon and saying, so he's, he's going to put me over, right? Am I going to be okay? Basically. If Andre the Giant doesn't want you to win, you're not gonna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he kept asking Andre the Giant and Vince McMahon, he was like, how are we going to do this? And he was, you know, Andre was like, you'll see, or we'll be okay. And Hulk Hogan, you know, tells this great story of writing the script for the match the night before the match. And it was, it was kind of left open. And, uh, in the end, you know, Andre, he let Hulk Hogan win. And, and in fact, called it out and, and listen, yep. listening to, or, or actually watching Hulk Hogan give that interview. I mean, he was near tears when he was talking about it because he just couldn't believe um, that this this giant of a man was doing this for him. And and the, the thing was, was Hulk Hogan had written out how he wanted the match to go and he had given mm-hmm. that to Vince. And he's like, look, I think this is what we should do, blah, blah, blah. You think Andre would be into it, you know? And and the whole time he's trying to find out, you know, what Andre thought of, of basically oh, yeah, the they- match. And... And they were not sitting in the same room. Right. And, and Hulk Hogan didn't know how the match was going to go. And when the match started, it played out exactly how Hulk Hogan had written it down. And he's like, Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I do this now, I guess. And he would do it. And it was, and, and Andre was just kind of like playing with him leading up to the match, not letting him know, you know, that, that he had gotten the script or whatever. And, and just listening to Hulk Hogan describe it, and as he as he as he was nearing the end of the match, and Andre Andre was, and at this point, Andre was having a lot of trouble with his back and his knees, and mm-hmm. he was he was in constant pain. And Andre was actually, I didn't know I didn't know it, but Andre was actually the one who called for the slam heard around the world. Yep, mm-hmm. they do this beautiful thing in the documentary where Hulk Hogan's talking about it, and I'm getting you know, the goose flesh right now where Hulk Hogan's talking about it and then they show it. Mm-hmm. So 
he's saying, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't know. I go and I lock up with Andre and I go for the slam and he falls on me just like I had written. Right. But the part that was unwritten where, like you said, Andre calls out slam, slam. the slam heard around the world. Yep. Hulk, you could see the surprise on his face, not only when he's sitting there doing the interview, 30 years but later. When they, when they, yep, when they cut back to 1987, he's just in disbelief after fighting on the, the, the giant, Andre the giant for such a long time. And Andre calls for the slam. You can see Hulk like standing in the middle of the ring going, almost forgetting that he was this gigantic superstar at this point going, Oh, oh, oh my God. I, I have to body slam Andre the giant. And then, and then when he slammed him, Andre called leg drop and Hulk Hogan, uh, put down his patent, his patented leg drop and then one, two, three. And that was history. I didn't see that match when it first happened, but I remember almost that entire sequence. It's so vivid just from, from the opening of wrestling shows. And I don't watch all that much. The opening of wrestling shows from YouTube videos, from anything. It's just, it's crazy that, that, that has lived quite as long as it has. I guess really the one other thing I, I want to say is that it the documentary actually did make me cry from someone that I didn't know much about till to the very end um, when they do when they do talk about his death and Vince McMahon who, who you know brought him up and whatever was like you know there's no one else like him and he's like he tries not to be affected by the bad stuff and there's a lot of bad stuff in wrestling you know there's mm-hmm. people dying from steroids and mm-hmm. heart problems and all this stuff and he says that you know I don't really think about the bad stuff I just kind of push it away and don't think about it. And then he pauses and he kind of looks away and you can tell, you can see his eyes welling up. And I'm like, except for this particular situation. It slaps him right in the face. It, it can't be easy. Uh, being Vince McMahon, making the decisions that he, he's made, uh, the decision to put Hulk Hogan over certainly made WWE, WWF at the time a household name. Um, but you can see that Vince McMahon really it really affected him, yeah. Um, making Andre the villain, and yeah, it's it's a very it's it's a gut wrenching moment. Go ahead. Rick. I was going to say it's 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 a very moving documentary, and the, just the way it ended was the most moving part for me. I mean, this man that everybody absolutely loved, everyone he ever worked with had nothing but good things to say about him. Um, he was loved around the world, and he died alone in his hotel room in pain. While he was while he was there for his father's funeral, very sad. Yeah, and and it just just wow. I mean, he was loved by millions of people. So, even, guys, even if you don't like wrestling or you don't really think it's your thing, this is a really good documentary. It's on HBO, so it's going to be on heavy rotation right now. It's on HBO Go. Uh, I believe that HBO actually put it on YouTube as well. So it's. Um, Called it's a HBO sports documentary. It's just called Andre the Giant, so you can look it up. I think it's worth an hour, an hour and a half of your time. It's it's really well done. Okay, so I guess we're gonna move on and we're gonna get into season eight of The Walking Dead. Um, the for those who don't know, uh, Walking Dead just recently wrapped up season eight. Um, very interesting ending. Um, yeah, spoilerific, by the way, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very very interesting ending, um, but. I, I do have to say that after seeing the ending, I knew I, – I have to say that I was right. I don't know if we talked about it on our earlier episode, but I'm pretty sure I talked at least to you about it, Greg. Um, the, the the shots that we were seeing um, in the beginning of this season. Okay, so with you did Alt talk Band about Rick, that. 
What's you that? did talk about that at the. You did talk about that at the beginning of the this season. Yes. Was okay. That with the old man Rick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The where with the the sequences of of Rick, um, old man, and then the sequences of Rick crying, you know, in front of a, a stained glass window or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I baby situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I was saying, you know, I think I think the. Um, I think they're looking ahead. You know, the old man Rick might be dream sequences and the crying Rick is, you know, where we end up current. And that was essentially what happened. I was right. Yeah, I got one right. But um, yeah, yeah. but I, I, I'm kind of torn on how we ended. Um, I know that that's kind of how the comic goes, I believe. Is it not? Well, ju- just kind of going through. So this, this season started basically in the middle of this big all-out war. Right. Both story in the comic, but also in the show, which has been going on essentially for three seasons. Yeah. And in this season, all the way through, not just the half season, the saviors who were the quote-unquote bad guys, who were basically the mafia who would come in and say, or they were, as we've said before, they were the the grasshoppers from Bugs uh, Bugs Life, where they were basically trapped in their base by the quote-unquote good guys, who released just a horde of zombies, walkers, into the their courtyard. Mm-hmm. So they were stuck in their their main base. So it allowed the 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 heroes Rick and his gang to kind of join together with a bunch of other groups, and that's pretty much what happened throughout the season. And then the the midway point, the saviors have gotten out and are you know, starting to get their revenge. I guess that would be the best way to describe the way this this season went. Was the mid season where we lost our? Um... Our our most recent good guy, I believe so. The the mid season finale, we, we, which which good guy was that? Uh, Carl. Uh, yes, it was the mid season finale when we found out about it, and then when it came back, we had I believe one episode. Then the next episode, if I remember correctly, was the one where he slowly died throughout the gotcha. same one. Gotcha. Okay. Which the reason I'm mentioning that is I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. Um, I also think the mid season finale, the previous one. Yeah, the midseason finale was also when we lost our, our tiger friend. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was sad. Which I believe was lost. I mean, yeah, it happened in the comic too, but I believe it was also lost because of budgetary constraints of, and doing a CG tiger is really expensive. <laughs> so I, there was a few things I thought about this season. I'm saying that things happen slow on Walking Dead is cliche. It's true, but it's cliche. I think that the people that run the show don't trust that there's going to be enough story, so they prolong things and they have people talk about things. <laughs> it's like an episode of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> which, which I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to assume yes. But I think that that's one of the things they do. They don't, they don't trust that there's enough story there, which I think is their fault because they there is. There's a lot of different things they can do. That's one thing. I, that's one thing that kind of springs to mind. The other thing is is when they do that. It makes us start to figure stuff out because mm-hmm. they end up showing things way too much, right? Before it happens, and it makes it lame. Okay, let's. I don't want to say lame. I want to, it makes it less impactful when it actually happens. And I, I do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Because that's what I'm. I'm not sure if I want to talk I, about that part I, here. I do. I understand what you're talking about, but I don't. I I'm. I might have to disagree with um with that sentiment in the beginning of the season, because in the beginning of the season, it was all action. I mean, it was in your face. It was battle after battle, after battle, after battle. And you yeah, know, that, after, that part I thought was really well paced. Well, after like three episodes, I'm like, I mean, people are going to get bored of this. They need to slow it down just a little bit. Cause 
you know, it, I mean, when when all you're getting is battle after battle after battle after battle nonstop, it's like, all right, you know, where do you go from there? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, like for you know some some examples, they'll introduce something, and they'll introduce an idea. We'll just say um, the ocean side people or the or mm-hmm. the garbage people, two different groups of other people, mm-hmm. and they introduce them. They come in and they either betray the the heroes or say, look, I don't want anything to do with you guys. Okay. So usually in the average show, something will then happen, causing them to either change their mind or go evil. But this wavers back and forth. Like the, like the, the oceans, Like multiple times. Like the ocean side was a group that didn't want anyone around because they had met a group of other people who did terrible things to them. Saviors. Okay. Was it, it was it ended up being the saviors? Okay. Yeah, it was. So like, we don't want any part of this. Okay, great. Then something happens, and they're like, no, we still don't want any part of this. Then something else happens. Still don't want any part of this. And then one of their members accidentally gets killed by one of the good guys, and all of a sudden they become, they want to help. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's, I, I think that's poor writing and poor pacing together mm-hmm. in some in some respects. And I, I really thought that they made a few people too bad and made them make too many bad decisions to ever go back and have them make good decisions and be trustworthy again. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, who, I, uh, who are you talking about in particular? The garbage lady? Uh, well, the garbage lady, first of all, the, the, that whole idea, I've said this, I think, on the show before, was it, this has only been happening for about a year or so, maybe a little more than a year. I mean, we know that the war has only been going on for nine months because Maggie's pregnant and she's still pregnant. And she still doesn't look pregnant. Yeah. So we know it's about, it's a short period of time. And she's talking in this weird, she's got this weird name. She's talking in a weird language. And it's like, what's the, society hasn't degraded that much in two years. Right. Maybe. I don't know exactly the time period. So, you know, between between her, um, Rick has made some terrible decisions. And even after knowing some things, he continues to make the same bad decisions, which makes Mm -hmm. the the end result less believable only to have him then continue making bad decisions after that. Um, or, or to make decisions that he should have been making the entire time. Yeah. And, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later with the bar. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that right now. Like, okay. I mean, the, the hero is at this point, not a hero. If you don't, if you haven't been following him around the entire series, you could easily have cast him as the villain yeah, based on question. just what, just on what he does. And, and perhaps they're, perhaps they're trying to play up the whole, you know, um, Rick and Negan are really kind of the same, um, and and play up that that um, you know Rick's just as evil, and, and from in fact from the Savior's point of view, Rick is the evil Negan. Um, but I I just I just didn't feel like it worked. Yeah, I mean, as I as I said last week too, you can make you can convince me of anything if you can convince me of anything with good writing, then I'll follow along with it. But having a character having a character's son die, tell him it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to kill people. Having him basically meet up with innocent people that are talking about wanting to go back, and then immediately and, tricking them and killing them, as you said in the bar. Yeah, there's there's no turning back. You know, there, there's and, no going from heel to face after that one, so to speak. And and then turning around and doing what you should have done in the bar with with the with the person who's responsible for all of your suffering, I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense. Why are we doing that? I mean, you, you, so just to be clear, the garbage lady is not alpha. No, she's not. Mm. Her name, I think is actually Anna. I believe they said, 
She is, I believe, um, a brand new person. The thing I was, I was curious, um, that I wanted to bring up and I, I might have to do a little research on this, um, is to go back and see which of the episodes, which of all the episodes were directed by Greg Nicotero, who is like the lead zombie effects guy on it, who kind of found his way into the director's chair. And I kind of seem to think the worst episodes were directed by him. Hmm. So I'd have to do some research on that, but and, you didn't mention yeah. that I haven't had a chance to look that up either. Um, he was not the overall showrunner this for this no. season. This showrunner actually did do a few of the really good episodes early on, mm-hmm. but I think I just think there was some wavering with who the characters are going to be, and they have announced that there's going to be a new showrunner. There, there will be. Yes, um, this finale actually uh, was the lowest rated. And we, we say this every year that, um, oh, this episode or this finale, this mid-season finale, and I'll, I'll let you guys get back to it in a second. But we keep saying that, oh, it's the lowest rated season so far, but it's still got a lot of viewers. Well, that that's trending in the wrong direction mm-hmm. for The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they continue to make the same mistakes. I, yeah. And I, I got to believe that they're seeing it because I don't know how you feel about it, Greg. But I kind of feel like they've introduced the end of the series. Um, I, I think they feel the the oncoming apocalypse, so to speak, and they've introduced the way out. And oh, the helicopter. Yeah, because that's the Whoa. only that's the only plot line that they did not wrap up in this season. Did you notice mm-hmm. that? All the other plot lines were wrapped up, except for the one that they started right at the end of the season. But. Yeah. Um, all the other plot lines from this season got wrapped up except for that one. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Where did that come from? What is what? It, what is that? And the, the garbage lady basically knew where it was, knew it was coming. She planned for it. She timed it. And she was trying to get their attention. So she knew about it. But uh, the other one was the the woman showing up with the, the, the way forward book. Yeah. It happened like very briefly, which I'm guessing is telegraphing a – storyline that's just now happening in the comics about a woman that actually does have a society a very large yeah. society and i was gonna say like a mega community or whatever that uh yeah. they're all coexisting. Uh, mm. Huh? Mm. jimmy jimmy does read the comics so she, he knows what's going on so mm. but, but, the, but I, I feel like they there's introduced- a thing that's happening that you can read with your eyes it's a thing okay go ahead rob <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like they've introduced the end of the series because I, 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 I'm beginning to feel like the series itself is going to end with their group making it to the mega community and thus safety, if you will. And then them, yeah, and then then them like basically be going out and just clearing out the world, you know, from the safety of these walls. Yeah. So they, they're like just to get into some of the character stuff that the weird character changes, like. The way the episode ended, and Rob hinted at it, was Maggie, this character who has been relatively even-tempered. Uh, her husband had gotten killed. She's pregnant. She's leading one of the groups. And she's really upset with Rick for letting Negan live. Mm-hmm. And they do a very strong hint of her you know, breaking bad, so to speak. And like, well, like, is she going to try to take down Rick? Is that going to be a thing? But the people that join up with her, one of which has been a character that through the whole series has been trying to convince people not to kill anybody. Uh, Jesus is the character's name, not mm-hmm. the actual Jesus, although it might be. Who knows? And uh, Daryl, who's like everyone's favorite character, 
who also it's joins sounds us. like good sounds like it's getting weird enough that i wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. they were like no jesus is actually jesus <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a a thing that uh the guy that created walking dead said that it's all going to turn out to be aliens and when they asked him like how he, how he's going to keep the comic book going for as long as he has like oh in issue 100 they're going to reveal that it was a, really aliens behind the whole thing but anyway uh, and then Daryl, who comes in and is like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. We're going to have to, you know, punish Rick and and Michonne for for letting Negan live." But Daryl, literally in the scene before, lets his arch enemy go and basically says, "Leave if I ever see you again. I'm going to kill you." Mm-hmm. Who's that, Dwight? Yeah, yeah, Dwight. And then he tells him, "Oh, by the way, you should go find your ex-wife or your wife. It's kind of not officially ex because the zombie apocalypse had started, but." Go find her. And it's like this almost heartwarming moment from someone that he hates. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, the person that I've known for six episodes has been, you know, we're going to take him down if he, for letting this person live. So I thought that was really weird. Yeah. But I also like the fact that everything, this slate was clean and left wide open for the new showrunner. We'll, we'll see. And I, I, I think, I think part of the problem is just um, people have, people are having shorter attention spans because a lot of the people that I used to talk with about this show, I've stopped watching the show. They've just kind of lost interest. They've moved on. They found other shows. Um, so I, it, it's having problems maintaining interest in, in even the hardcore fans. I mean, these were people who we were always talking about it, you know, Monday morning after it aired. Um, and those people don't really watch the show anymore. They, they've, they've just lost interest. So I, I don't know what, what the, I'm not a hundred percent sure what their issue is. Um, but it's, it seems like, uh, walking dead as a show is on its way out. Well, it's already signed up for season nine. I think season 10 also. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. I think they could, you know, close it out. Robert Kirkman, you know, has said that the comics is not going to go on forever. And in all likelihood, it's, you know, probably going to wrap up soon. Um, you know, maybe the show should too. You don't have to keep beating that dead horse. I mean, as I've said before, I think one of the bigger problems is, it's always in the summer. There's so many stories they can tell in the winter. Yeah. Have they not done a winter season yet? Never. Never, never even been winter. Really? And one of the coolest yeah. things about the comic is the fact that all of these people actually have a reprieve from the zombies in the winter, but they have no food. And there's a lot of stories of, you know, people walking through the, the snow and, you know, there's zombies underneath the snow. They don't know it. Yeah, you know, I know that's just one scene, but there's a lot of cool stuff they can do there. Um, I did want to talk about one last thing before we close this out. Mm-hmm. And that was the editing on the the line of saviors as all of their gun bullets blow up. So one of the main characters, Eugene, has been hinted at being bad. And I think for most of the, the series, he was a bad guy. For mo- not series, most of the season, he was a bad guy. In fact, he helped mm-hmm. the saviors clear out their courtyard by using a drone, I believe. And he has a change of heart and sabotage. He's been making bullets for them and he sabotages the bullets so that when they all pull their guns and shoot, they all blow up in their face, killing some of them and blowing off someone's hand and blowing off Negan's hand, a bunch of stuff like that. But the way they edited it, it, it was so obvious as to what was going to happen because they kept on cutting back to him when it, when they're like, Negan's like, I'm going to shoot. And then they show him. Was he sitting there like with a grin on his face, wringing his hands not quite that when bad. Not him. quite that bad. But okay. he was kind of doing a shifty, like side eye thing, and he's like, "No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to count to three, and they would cut back to him, and I'm going to do it. I'm going <laughs> to count to two. He was going, 
he was going yeah but not only that at the beginning of the episode they showed him making the the bullets and they had also and i believe they also showed him catching someone else trying to sabotage the bullets gabriel so like as soon mm-hmm. as that lineup happened i'm like well i know what's happening here i'm like you know trust your viewer enough to not have to show that we know who made the bullets there's been like six episodes about it just let it happen and then show him like hauling ass out of there mm-hmm. <laughs> which i was like ah, like as soon like i was sitting there on the couch i'm like oh i know what's happening here and it six episodes of build-up and it was ruined by overly zealous editing. So I just thought that was one thing that it was a, the epitome of that. But I am actually excited about what's to come if there's they're expecting drastic changes, which is probably a jump forward in time, which I would assume. Entirely possible. I mean, I'll, I'll keep watching the show. I, I I will. I mean, I'll admit that I'm not as as zealous about watching it the night that it airs anymore. But I, I will, I will keep following the show. Um, I, I still think that that I mean, I understand that it's signed up for two more seasons, but I still think it's highly possible that those might be the last two. I think that it will. I still watch it the night of, but that's mm-hmm. that's habit. I mean, usually I go back and just to class the next day, and inevitably there was a student talking about it. Although, as as you said, and Jimmy has said, not quite as much, but but I'll I'll keep up with it. Cool. Let us move on. All right, guys, so that brings us to our Give Me Five question of the week. And that question, based on our content for the evening, not The Walking Dead, but wrestling, is who are your five most influential wrestlers of all time? So if you had to make your own Mount Rushmore, who would the faces be on that? Mm. Quick question. Sure. Are we doing WWE or overall? Overall. Overall. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm torn on a few. I am too. So I'm guessing the list is going to cross over. And I think this might be one of the ones where we want to argue it out afterwards and give us one list. In a related story, my wife has yelled at us for not arguing it out and giving a definitive list on more episodes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to fix that. Yeah, we'll have to do that more often. Although some of it is our own, our own opinion about... Like things that what means to us, so those are hard, a little harder. But anyway, I have some answers that I think might surprise you guys. So I'll go ahead and go first. Go for How it. about that. Um, so my number five is Gilberg. Number okay. four is Rob. Uh, my number three is Eugene. Number two is From the, the Repo Man. Bed. No, uh, <laughs> number two is the Repo Man, and number one is Manitar. Which is actually my stage name. <laughs> Manitar. So, yeah, so, but Rob was also Manitar when he got thrown off of the top of a seven-foot steel cage onto a table. All right. So, my five for real list. <laughs> the, those um, are the worst wrestlers of all time. Jimmy <laughs> asked the question and also answered the wrong one. Yeah. And I wrote uh, it down as you were writing it, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my uh my top five and they do cross promotions these are kind of uh 80s wrestlers uh they go nwa uh crockett promotions across the board but my number five is the american dream dusty Rhodes. if you haven't seen dusty Rhodes's hard time speech then you're missing out even if you're not a wrestling fans fan um i can remember watching dusty Rhodes and going this dude's a wrestler. He's like 60 years old and 300 pounds, mm-hmm. but he with the weirdest hair of all time. 
he had amazing hair. It looked like he he'd always he, he looked like he was wearing a Roman circlet and took it off. It looked like he had ramen noodles on his head, like the <laughs> uncooked ramen noodles. But that's but, okay, baby. That's okay, baby. Um, number four is the Drifter from the movie They Live, uh, listed as John Nada, the host of Piper's Pit, mm-hmm. Rowdy Roddy Piper. I came here to do two things. <laughs> and I'm all out of bubblegum. Number right. three is The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. I think the WWF, WWE went in a crazy direction with him. It was dark. I loved horror movies. I thought he was the horror movie wrestler. I love the storylines with Paul Bearer. Um, number two, Brett the Hitman Hart, one of the most technical wrestlers of all time. The man I was almost named after. And my number one is Hulk Hogan. Okay. Strong. Crossed over with me a little bit. Okay. I, I guess I'll go. go All right. Uh, my number one is Gorgeous George. And you're not going to find a lot of video on him because he was a wrestler in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Actually, more of the 30s, 40s, 50s. And he was the first one that actually did a shtick. It wasn't yeah. just wrestling. He was the first one that, that came out and was like, this beating the people road. up thing can only go so far. But he went out, got a row. He did the thing where he made fun of everybody in the town he got married to his wife for real at a show in eugene oregon and then when it made a huge amount of money for him he did it at every show from that point on and made, made a big deal out of it so he's the first one with a shtick yep mm-hmm. he's the first one that turned it into a show yeah uh, my next is going to be the rock and the rock was actually a little bit higher when i first started making this list and i had egregiously forgot somebody but we'll figure that one out. we'll talk about that in a second I think he's one of the best on the mic of all time. I'm sure that if he didn't have to even rehearse, I guarantee if you just threw a mic right here and said, you know, make fun of Rob, he would probably make Rob cry. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, he was just so good. And of course, he was able to leave wrestling and become a huge star and not have that stigma of being, oh, well, you're just that wrestler that wants to be a star, which a lot right. of the other guys get. Yeah, maybe in the beginning, but not now. Uh, my number three is actually also Jimmy's number three, and that is The Undertaker. Dark, just complete theatrics. The opening sequence gives me chills. I've seen them live, I think, three times now. Uh, WrestleMania. <laughs> Actually, I believe at WrestleMania I had his opening launch a firework at my face. Um, but he's just, you know, really good. And he was, he was kind of the, for me, the conscious of the WWE. He would come in. He wasn't, he was an anti-hero and he would destroy whoever was uh, acting up. My number two is going to have to be the one that I forgot on my first pass through, and that was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And yet again, anti-hero. He was also the first one that they really showed standing up to the man or management, which was Vince McMahon. And in the 90s, when I didn't even watch wrestling, I knew everything that he was up to because you could just see it. Like you could see people walking around with it. You could see people talking about it. You could see clips of it. And he, I think he really helped WWE win the wrestling wars. Yep. The attitude area. Yeah. Attitude era. That was <laughs> yeah. Stone Cold. The attitude, attitude area. area. He he single handedly saved WWE um, yeah. during the attitude era. And seeing what his character was like before he became Stone Cold Steve Austin was even is even more impressive because when he finally found his character and his niche, it was incredible how mm-hmm. how good he got. And you watch those old clips and it sounds different when he's on. Like you this crowd sounds manic. When he's doing whatever, it's so much different than now. Because everyone, yeah. of course, is not cheering and applauding. They're holding up their phones to get video. And, of course, number one, uh, Brothers, is Mr. Hulk Hogan. 
I'm pretty sure every time I take a vitamin, I think of him telling me to take my vitamins in the eighties. Yeah. And yeah, he was the, the, you know, the real American or the all American hero. Yeah. I, I kind of struggled with that one. Um, he, he was just the biggest super superstar of the time. I mean, you, you can't get by that. Right. Um, well, I'll go ahead and give you my five. Um, and I, I left one off and he may bump my fifth one off the list, but I'll leave my fifth one on the list because I, I, I think it's possible that the rock will make it onto the list onto the definitive five, even without me, because the rock redefined what it was to work the mic. I'm, um, I'm going to go ahead and just guess on this one that stone cold is who bumped the same person off of my list that you're about to say, but go ahead. Um, the number five on my list is going to be triple H. That's, that's who I ended up getting bumped by stone cold. Yeah. Triple H reinvented the heel. Nobody did heel like Triple H did heel. And he, and he was just so in the character and just the, the villain that you loved to hate, so to speak. And nobody, nobody has done heel like Triple H has done heel. And that's why he's my number five. My number four has already been mentioned, but it's going to be the undertaker. Um, Undertaker reintroduced the supernatural aspect to, to wrestling. Um, there, w- there was a time where, you know, they would have, people had these gimmicks and some people, you know, it, it, Undertaker was introduced at a time when like superpowers was a thing. Um, you know, Hulk Hogan's hulking up kind of thing. You know, when he did that, nobody could stop him kind of thing. Um, Undertaker took that to the next level with, with the supernatural aspect of his character. Yeah, he was dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my my number three is is maybe a little bit of nostalgia, maybe a little bit of the documentary, but my number three is going to be Andre. Um, he launched more careers, and, and and I didn't even realize this until until um, the documentary. Um, but he put over so many wrestlers and and gave so many guys an opportunity who otherwise might never have been known. Um, Jerry the King Lawler was one of them. Um, I mean, he 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 helped to launch Jerry the King Lawler with some epic epic battles while he was touring touring the country. Um, so I'm going to put Andre at number three. My my number two, um, I think Greg and mine's number one and number two are the same because I've got Stone Cold Steve Austin as a close number two. Uh, Stone Cold essentially saved WWE during the '90s. If it weren't for Stone Cold, WCW probably would have won the Battle of the Wrestling the wrestling war in the nineties. Um, but number one, without question has got to be Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is the catalyst that launched wrestling into the limelight in the eighties. He was the perfect character, the perfect look at the perfect time. And it all just coalesced in one amazing event that was Hulkamania. Um, and Hulkamania swept the country. People who didn't watch wrestling knew who Hulk Hogan was. Um, you, you know, everybody heard about Hulkamania and his 24 inch pythons, brother. You know, it was, you, you couldn't you get can see someone wearing like a red and yellow shirt without immediately and, thinking Hulk Hogan. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it was, it was just, it was just this all encompassing, um, phenomenon that, you know, that was Hulkamania. So without question, Hulk Hogan has to be number one. Well, I think and I, and I will we can do our definitive list. I will fight for him to be number one on the. Well, on all the of us put him as number one. So I don't <laughs> yeah, think that's going to be. Oh, well, I thought I thought Jimmy listed somebody else's number one. No, nah, I'm pretty sure we all had oh, him as number okay. one. Okay. Nope. So yeah, should we, I, let's 
do the definitive list to make sure that my wife doesn't hit me with a um, steel chair. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, we already know number one is Hulk Hogan. Absolutely. Okay. I would if, – if we're going from top to bottom then, um, I'd have to place The Undertaker at number two. And if you guys don't agree with that. If, if we're talking – if we're talking influential, um, I would probably say Austin over The Undertaker. I, I'd be okay sliding Undertaker down to three and putting Austin at number two because, like I said, Austin turned around the entire company of WWE or WWE yeah, at the time. And I didn't include him on my list, and I, I should have. Uh, Stone Cold, I was a huge fan. Austin 316, uh, that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. I saw him several times. I think that Austin – was he was really the first anti-hero where he was almost developed to be a heel, but everyone cheered him on and loved him. Vince McMahon was smart enough to be like, Oh, you know, I'm the, the man that's holding everyone down. And he's the, the working guy that's yeah. finally, he's, he's the, the worker. I'm the boss. And he's going to be the voice of those people. And I think that's what really brought him to the top. And he was really one of the first where the, you know, the, the first anti-hero. Where every yeah. other time, if someone did that, they would get booed out of the arena, and Hulk Hogan would, you know, drop a leg on them. So yeah. I really do think that that's that's correct. Plus, WWE was on very slim footing. If you look at their roster back in that day, mm-hmm. and I, that's when I was working at Blockbuster, so the only thing I really watched back then was the, the videos and mm-hmm. all of the the good people back in the nineties, including Hulk Hogan, where it was in WCW. Yep. So, so uh, did that convince us to put Austin at two? Yes. Okay. So number three was the Undertaker. Undertaker. I can I can number give you the Undertaker f- number three. Yes. Okay. Okay. So number four, how about the Rock? I that's what I was going to suggest as well, because yeah. he revolutionized working the mic. I mean, and oh yeah, and I re- I've seen a couple of documentaries involving the Rock, and I can't believe I forgot him, but because I just watched a movie with him tonight. Um, I, I I I remember hearing people saying that, oh, God, I don't want to go up against The Rock. I mean, he always makes me look stupid, blah, 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 because um, I don't think that their that their mic talk is actually scripted. And Rock had like a million catchphrases to lean back on and he could throw throw stuff out and make you look stupid, make you look incompetent. And people just ate it up and people and other wrestlers hated going up against Rock on them. On the mic, not even not not even making it to the mat, just hated having more words with him on the mic. So I, I can definitely see him at number four. So that, that leads us with five. Hmm. And I'm looking at the list here, and you know when someone is, and I'm I'm selling myself here with with the word big. When someone is big, right before an event or something blows up, it's you know it's the foundation that things were built on, and the fact that Andre the Giant was the biggest star right before WWE became the biggest promotion. It's almost like he was the one getting the funding to eventually go wide worldwide. Does that make sense? I I think Andre was largely responsible for unifying all of the wrestling um, divisions, if you will. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he was traveling around all of them. So I could put him at five. And he was and he was loaned fact. out by Vince McMahon or by yeah. the McMahons. He was loaned out basically. Yeah, on top of the fact that he put over a lot of guys and, you know, worked with people that were huge in the seventies and, you know, mm-hmm. so I could go with that. And you know, even triple H with, with his acquisition or his guiding of NXT is also a big one. Mm-hmm. So, so if you guys yeah, well, argue I, that, out, I was going to say, 
That's hard because I love Andre. I want to put him at on. I, I want to put him at five. But you also made a good point with Triple H because Triple H is one of the few wrestlers um, that I can think of that's actually been really influential behind the scenes as well as on camera. Um, because Triple H has kind of started um, getting involved in the business side of WWE, has he not? I mean, he's he's yeah, there with NXT. He and- it's I mean, he's married to the boss's daughter. Right. He's, he's ushered NXT through. I think the. It's not called the cruiserweight division. It's it's got a number, and I can't remember. It's like seven hundred five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Got that. But I think that he has he's going to be in charge of all the creative decisions very soon, if mm-hmm. not already doing it behind the scenes. Right. And man, I I really want to put Andre at five, but I'm having a hard time skipping over Triple H just just because of everything that he's done, both in front of and behind the camera. So I think we're going to have our very first tie for number five. Oh, that's a cop out. <laughs> Jimmy right. wants me to hit with a chair. Power box right through tomorrow. a table. We do have an yeah, unused table. We have, a, we have a, a tiebreaker. Okay, so you're saying Triple H, Rob, and I'm saying Andre the Giant. Jimmy? Andre the Giant. And I can't be too mad about it. Because okay. re- my, my heart wants to put Andre there. Fair enough. So we've got Andre the Giant, number five, The Rock, number four. Uh, the Undertaker, number three, Stone Cold Steve Austin, number two, and Hulk Hogan at number one. Triple H at five and a half. Yes, and Triple H <laughs> at five and a half. And if we ever do this list again and Triple H is in charge of all the creative like we think, he can move up. Okay, yes. so closing out this episode, um, well, this is, a, a as we said before, a very wrestling-heavy episode. Next week, I believe we're going to have the opportunity to talk about Infinity War. If not, it'll be oh, in two weeks. Two no, weeks we'll be doing Infinity weeks. War. Next week, I'm pretty sure Jimmy and myself will be talking about Season 2 of Westworld, which begins on this weekend. And I'm very certain that I will be talking about Super Troopers 2. Awesome. And I will attempt to see Super Troopers 2. I will try. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because the give me five cents so. Sap, uh, sap decisions. It's about maple syrup. You don't have to be a star, baby, to be in my show. Who's ready for a mustache ride?